For those of you who were here last week, I said if I could only preach one message for the rest of my life, this message today would be it. I'm going to tell you about a time when Jesus was telling three stories to a group of tax collectors and notorious sinners, is the way the New Living Translation translates it, while the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were just a group of religious teachers, and they were sort of high up on the spectrum of religious teachers in that day, and some other teachers of religious law were complaining about what Jesus was doing. So if you're familiar with the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost sons, then you know that you're in for a treat. But if you have never heard these parables before, you're in for an amazing treat. Because what we're going to find out is what God thinks of you and me um, through these parables. And we're going to look at today's take-home point as a way to get started. And for those of you who are with us for the first time, the take-home point is the one point that we'll make from the Scriptures. Um, And the goal is that we'll take it home, think about it, and then uh, apply the principles in our lives in the week ahead. So here it is. We all start out lost, but Jesus is the great finder. We all start out lost, but Jesus is the great finder. And uh, a week or so ago when Nancy and I were in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico for the pastor's retreat, and I won't mention Puerto Vallarta, Mexico anymore for at least the next couple weeks, um, uh, we were led by Dr. George Hunter. And uh, he's a seminary professor, and so he was putting things in the context of what people think and believe. And so he talked about pre-modern people, modern people, and post-modern people. And, and we don't need to go into all of that, especially since pre-modern people lived before the 1700s. I don't think any of you are with us here today. Um, modern people, after the age of the Enlightenment, are people who think and, and believe that reason is the way, basically, that we process life. Postmodern people think there are other things besides reason that are important. But here's why I bring that up. When I say lost sheep, lost coin, lost um, sons... What we think as modern and postmodern people is ones that have lost their way. They don't know where they are. Um, Maybe the GPS is broken. But that's not what Jesus was talking about when he talked about being lost. What he meant was being separated from a relationship with God. In the strongest terms, it meant being condemned to hell because of not having a relationship with Jesus. So what we're going to do today is we're going to recognize how important it is for us to be found. And the reason why if I could only preach one message for the rest of my life, this would be it, is because the decisions and commitments that we make now matter for eternity. The things that we think, say, and do here in this life really do impact eternity. So... Uh, if you've never heard these three parables, I'm going to sum them all up before we even read them. And here it is. Here's what the three parables tell us. God loves us so much that he looks for us and waits for us as long as it takes for us to be found or come home. The main reason that I'm a pastor is because when I was a little boy, people told me about Jesus. They told me that he was looking for me. They told me that I was lost and I needed to have a relationship with him in order to be found. And I trusted that that was true. And ever since that time, when I was a little boy up until now, I have sought to let Jesus have a bigger and bigger and bigger part of the inside of me, my spirit and my heart. And and so I have grown over the years. And that is where I stand today. And I'm 61, almost 62 years old, and a lot of people my age, they're thinking about, boy, I'm going to retire pretty soon, and I'm going to enjoy life. But I want to tell you something. I will never retire from 
telling people about how much Jesus loves them and how much we need him. Now, sure, I'm not going to be the lead pastor of New Life when I'm 80, but if I'm still around when I'm 80 and I still have a sound mind, Jesus hasn't come back or something, then I'm going to be still telling people this marvelous news that anyone who is lost can be found through Jesus Christ. So before we turn to the scriptures, which I'm going to ask you to do in a moment, if you have a Bible or your Bible app with you, to the gospel that Luke wrote, chapter 15, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that when we ran away and got lost on our own, you wouldn't let us stay lost. I thank you today, God, for these parables that Jesus told us to remind us just how much you love us. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will open our minds, our hearts, our lives to your truth and to your love, that we can experience them at a new and deeper level, and so that we can, uh, in our daily lives this week, bring you glory, honor, and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it says the tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Jesus was so different than the religious leaders of his day. The religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the the religious teachers, they believed that when they walked by, people should be going, wow, look at those people. I mean, there should have been this sort of aura about them because they were so good. And they would never even think about hanging out with tax collectors and other sinners because they weren't, or actually they wouldn't, follow, they wouldn't hang out with anybody who wasn't seeking to follow the law of Moses. And then Jesus came into the picture. And Jesus was so different. He loved everybody. I mean everybody. And don't get me wrong. Jesus didn't say it's okay no matter what you do. But he said whatever you are today, that's okay. Because I love you, period. And then he said, I want you to come into a relationship of righteousness that isn't just following a bunch of rules. It's a relationship with my heavenly Father through me. And and he said, I want you to obey the law. In fact, he said that he came to fulfill the law. But he said, I want you to do it out of love, not out of religion. There's a big difference between obedience out of relationship and obedience out of religion. So as the tax collectors and the sinners listened to the Pharisees and the religious teachers complaining to Jesus because he was, you know, hanging out with them, I, know, I, I think I know what was going on in their minds. I wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure I have an idea. I think as they were sitting around on the grass waiting, you know, for this whole little argument to get over with, they were wondering, I wonder if Jesus is going to do a miracle today. You know, I wonder if he's going to heal somebody today. I wonder if he's going to cast a demon out of somebody. That's a little scary, but it's sort of cool when he does that. I wonder if he's going to make lunch today. You know, I mean, a couple of loaves of bread, a few fish, that's all it takes for Jesus. Because Jesus, wherever he showed up, he reduced people's suffering. And he brought joy. And it didn't matter if people were old or young, rich or poor, bad or good. Jesus would do something amazing. But Jesus, instead of doing any of those other things, he started to teach. And these tax collectors and these sinners, they leaned forward. They were eager to hear what this rabbi had to teach. Now, wait a minute. Am I really saying that these people who had no desire to ever go into a synagogue, when this rabbi started speaking, they leaned in and wanted to hear what he had to say? Yes, I am. Because when Jesus spoke, it was different. It was totally different. He taught with an authority like nobody ever before or since. And when Jesus opened his mouth, something happened inside of you. You you sort of had this bad feeling like you were convicted that what you were doing wasn't right. But at the same time, you had this good feeling 
that he wasn't condemning you. He was calling you to a new way of living. When people heard Jesus teaching, it often changed them from the inside out. And so Jesus started teaching, and this is what it says. He told him a story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I've never owned a hundred sheep or a hundred cattle or a hundred any living creatures, but I do know this. In Jesus' day, if you owned a hundred sheep, you were wealthy. And I'm thinking, if you owned a hundred sheep, you might not even notice it if one of them wandered off. But this shepherd did. And I can picture the tax collectors and the sinners, they're elbowing each other, going, Jesus is the shepherd. I mean, they already have it figured out. Jesus is this shepherd who cares about this one lost sheep. But the question then becomes, well, if Jesus is the shepherd, then who is that lost sheep? And of course, it's the tax collector and it's the sinner, but it's also the Pharisee. It's also the other teachers of religious law. It's you and it's me. Because I have some bad news for all of us today. And the bad news is we all start out lost as the definition of lost as separated from God. But then I have the most amazingly good news to share with you today, and that is Jesus will search for us until he finds us. He will search, and he will search, and he will search. And, then, and here's the thing. While he's out looking for you or he's out looking for me, what about the other 99? What about all the rest of the people that are already found? What, won't they wander off and get lost too? It's possible. But you don't need to worry about Jesus not thinking about them because Jesus cares about each of us as if there were only one of us. Jesus understands how much each of us is worth. In fact, this is what it says. At the end of the story, Jesus says this. He gathers all his friends and says, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. The one sheep. In our day, most people don't have a clue of what they're worth. There are people who think they're worth way more than they are, the narcissists who only think about themselves and think that the sun rises and sets on their lives. There are at the other end of the spectrum those who don't think they're of the same value as a plankton. And Jesus says this to sum up the whole story. He says, in the same way, there is great joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God over the other 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus is telling you there's a celebration of angels every time one lost person gets found. Why would he say that? Why would he sum up the story that way? Well, because of the audience, because the self-righteous Pharisees were sitting there looking uh, you know, with, you know, down at the tax collectors and other sinners, and they thought they were all that. But Jesus is saying, if you think that you're all that, just remember, the angels in heaven are rejoicing over one lost person who's found more than all you who already are righteous and don't need to be found. Jesus celebrated the tax collector, the prostitute, the, the anyone who feels lost and burdened, who feels like they're not worth anyone and needs to find their way. Jesus celebrates each person's value. That's what the first story tells us. In fact, we could sum it up this way. Jesus wants you and me to know I value you. Now, maybe some of the people in the crowd didn't get it yet. And so Jesus tells a second story. It says this, Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. 
Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. Now, this is the same story. It's just dressed up in different clothes. In the first story, there's a shepherd with 100 sheep. In this story, there's a woman with 10 coins. Now, wait a minute. I just said a woman. The hero of this story is a woman. And in Jesus' day, most of the stories that were told, the hero was actually that, a valiant man. But in this case, it's a woman, and she has ten coins. Now, this was not a penny that she lost. This wasn't even a silver dollar that she lost. This coin would have been 10% of the value of everything she owned. So it was important to her. And so she lights a lamp, and she gets out her, her broom, and she starts sweeping in a search and rescue mission, and she's not going to give it up until she finds the coin. And she's not looking for that coin because she's greedy. She's looking for the coin because it's of great value to her. And once again, what Jesus is saying is, he says it for the second time, I value you and I'm never going to stop looking for you. And look how the story ends. Same as the first one. It says, in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And so now all the tax collectors and and the sinners, they're all saying, you mean if I repent, the angels in heaven are going to celebrate with a party? They can't even imagine it. Now, at the same time, the Pharisees and the religious teachers, they're having a hard time swallowing what Jesus has been saying here. And so Jesus is going to tell one more story because these religious leaders, they're still pointing their fingers at the tax collector and sinner and saying, these people are never coming into the kingdom of God. It's not happening. And so Jesus tells a third story, and it's very different from the first two. It's not a simple just somebody is looking for something lost. It's a story about a man and two sons. I, I know that you've heard it probably if you've heard of it as the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. But I want to share it to you today as the parable of the lost sons, plural, because, plural, because both of the sons are lost. And so this is what it says. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So we can already see who the hero of this story is. It's the man. There was a shepherd with 100 sheep. There's a woman with 10 coins. And now there's a man with two sons. But there's something different about this story. Nobody's lost. There's nothing lost at the beginning of this story. But there is something that's absolutely against the culture of Jesus' day. This young man, I mean, if I went to my dad when I was 25 years old and I said, Hey, Dad, I can't really wait for you to die. Could I just have my inheritance now? That would be offensive. But in Jesus' culture, for a a 20 or 25-year-old man to go to his dad and say, Hey, Dad, would you just drop dead so I can have your inheritance? Would be for that young man to be basically excommunicated from the family. They would never speak to him again. He would be sent out of the home, and he would have nothing whatsoever to do with the family ever again. But this father in the story, he's no ordinary father. And so what he says is, okay... And so in order to fulfill the request of the younger son, you have to realize in that culture, the older brother, because there's only two, the older brother, if there were five, he would get two shares and everybody else gets one. So since there's only two brothers, there is the older brother who gets two-thirds and the younger son gets one-third. And so how in the world is the father going to give one-third of everything he owns to his younger son? He has to sell his land, a third of his land. He has to sell a third of his animals, a third of everything, and turn it into money so that the son can take it. And he does that. So he takes all of this fortune, 
and he gives it to his son. Now, at that moment, the Pharisees and the religious teachers, they're shaking their head going, what? Who in the world would ever do that? But the tax collectors and the sinners are doing the same thing. They're like, who is this guy? Nobody would ever do that. Where is Jesus going with this story? And that's what we have to look at. We have to see what is Jesus going to do next. So it says, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. So the father had taken a, a lifetime to amass this fortune. And this younger son takes it, and he wastes all of it. And we can picture a 24-7 party, you know, all kinds of friends around. Well, friends, I put in quotes because they weren't really friends. They were just there for the party. But when the party ended, it was really fun till it wasn't. And there, there the son is. He has nothing. He has no friends. Everything is gone. And some of the tax collectors and the other sinners, they're going, oh, I remember that party. Well, no, I don't really remember that party, but I think I was there. And some of you might be sitting here today and you might be thinking, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about because I've done that in my lifetime as well. But not the tax, not the the Pharisees and the religious teachers. They're going, wow, I saw that coming. I mean, God paid this kid back for what he did. You can't treat your dad like that and get away with it. And then Jesus goes on and he says, at the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. What a terrible riches to rags story. I mean, to add insult to, inter- in- in- insult to injury, this guy's funds are all gone. But now even nature turns against him. I mean, the famine comes, so he can't go out and find a fig tree and find a fig because there's no figs left. There's a famine going on. So he attaches himself to a farmer. This isn't any kind of farmer. And remember, this kid left his family. He left his heritage, but he's still a Jew. And the Jews did not eat pork. They wouldn't even touch a pig. And yet this guy is so desperate that he is feeding pigs and just wishing that he could eat some pig slop, but nobody gives him anything. And by this time, the Pharisees and the religious teachers, they're going, yeah, I told you, this is what happens when you don't do what God tells you to do. This is what happens in your life when you sin. This is, <coughs> excuse me, this is what it's like to be a tax collector or a sinner. And so we're told that when he finally came to his senses, that's the young son, He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Luke's gospel was written in Greek. And in the original Greek, it says when he came to himself. He came to himself. He looked inside and he he saw something. He remembered that his father was a good man, a generous man. He had forgotten all about that. He had just taken what his father gave him and and he left and he didn't want to have anything to do with his father. But now he remembered something. His father's hired servants were well fed. And here he was starving to death. Now he realized he didn't deserve to be a son of that man anymore. He had lost that opportunity. But maybe he could go home and if he begged enough, maybe his father would treat him like a servant. And the religious leaders are going, are you kidding me? 
I can't wait to see what happens when this kid comes home because his dad is going to kick his butt the whole way down the road. But that isn't what happened. It says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, no one saw that coming. The tax collectors didn't see it coming. The religious leaders didn't see it coming. They were picking their jaw up off the ground. What? How in the world does this kid deserve that? And that's precisely Jesus' point. God doesn't love us because we deserve it. God loves us because he's God. And then it continues. It says, his son said to him, Father, he's his is rehearsed speech, right? Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father interrupts. He says, his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. This son had an artificial party with all the wild stuff that goes on in those kind of parties. And he came home to a dad who celebrates by giving him a party. And here's the thing. This is so culturally wrong at every level. The father ran to the son. No father would ever run to his son. The father says, give him the finest robe. The finest robe, that's for the dad, not for the kid. The ring, the ring, a signet ring would be like giving him the family credit card. Shoes, sandals, that, that says you're my child because the servants went barefoot, barefoot, but the children had shoes. Fatted calf, well, that was reserved for the most special guest who would ever come to visit at your home. And the father gave every single one of those things to his son. And we know why. He, he tells us why. He says, this son of mine was dead and has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And that's how God feels when one of his lost ones comes home, when one of his lost ones is found. And so if you're sitting here today, you're watching online today, and you're thinking, that's me. I'm lost. I I don't have any relationship with God. I've wasted my life, or I've been sitting around judging everybody, and I need a new life. Then let your soul drink in This story about this God who loves you because he does. Now, the reason I call this the parable of the lost sons is because of what Jesus says next. And nobody would have seen this one coming, especially not the Pharisees and teachers of the law. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Now the Pharisees are saying, finally, somebody has some common sense. I am not surprised that this brother is not willing to join the party because nobody should be at that party. And this father is finally going to get it figured out because the older son knows what's happening. And it says this, his father came out and begged him. Again, no father in that culture would ever leave a party and come out and beg his son to come in. But we're seeing that this father is different than anybody could have expected or would have expected him to be. And then the older son goes into, just tears into his dad. He says, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me. And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. 
Yet when this son of yours came back, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. So you see why I call this son lost also? He wasn't even a son. In his mind, he was a slave. He saw his father as a slave master. He had been out there working in the fields, not as a son to a father, but as a slave to the master. And he said, look, look at this. This son of yours, he won't say my brother. He says, this son of yours comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. I'm out there slaving every day. I did everything you ever asked me to do. You never even give me a little goat so I can have a party with my friends. Trust me. Fat and calf is way better than goat. I've had both. And then he says something that tells you where his heart was. He said, this son of yours who was out there wasting your money on prostitutes. There was no mention of prostitutes in the beginning of the story. Wild living, yes. But what was the guy doing when he was out there in the field working hard every day? He was dreaming about what his younger brother was doing. He was obedient on the outside, but on the inside his heart was just like his younger brother's. And so the father says to this son, Look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. And this was literally true. Remember, at the beginning of the story, what happened? The father had given two-thirds of his wealth to his older son and one-third of his wealth to his younger son. So the older son actually owned everything. Can you imagine waking up every day and going out and working in the fields that you think still belong to your dad and you own it all? If he wanted to have a fattened calf, he could have had as many as he wanted to. He owned them. He owned everything his father owned. And yet he was acting like a servant, like a slave. And so the dad says, look, you already, you know, I love you. And, and, and everything, that, that everything that I have, it's yours already. And, and then he says this, but we had to celebrate and be happy. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the father changes the relationship. He, the, the older son had said, your son, not my brother, and, and the dad says, your brother, this is your brother. He was dead. I mean, it's like he was dead and he, he came back to life. He was lost and he's found. We had to celebrate. And that's where the story ends. And there are so many questions. Did the older brother ever go in and hug his younger brother and welcome him home? Did the younger brother go to bed that night and wake up early in the morning and go out and work in the fields as an obedient son? We don't know. We don't have any idea. What we know is one thing, and that's Jesus' point. The one thing that we know is this. The Father's incredible love and compassion are for all of his children. It doesn't matter as you're sitting here today, you're watching online today. It doesn't matter if you think you're you know, God's gift to the world. That's how self-righteous you are. Or if you think that you don't even deserve to live. God loves you. God's love is for you. And he wants to bring you into his family. That's what Jesus is saying. I don't care what end of the spectrum you're on. Or maybe, you know, most of the time when a pastor preaches this message, the pastor says, so who do you relate with? Are you, are you the older brother? Are you the self-righteous one? Or are you the younger brother? Are you the one that wasted everything that your father gave you? I think that's the wrong question. The question really ought to be, if you've heard this story before and you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, are you becoming more like the Father? Are you ready to welcome home the sinner who is obviously a sinner? Are you willing to welcome home the sinner who doesn't look like a sinner because they do such good stuff? Because we have to welcome home everybody. 
We get to welcome home everybody. And whenever the pastor used to ask me that question when I was growing up, it would really cause like schizophrenia in me because I was both. Uh, on one side, I was the good guy. I did everything right. On the other side, I did stuff wrong. And, and so I didn't know who I was. But now I'm glad that after all these years of hearing this story, that I can relate more, not completely, obviously, but more with the Father than I ever could before. And so the, today, if you are the, the lost one because of a lifestyle of you know, sin and wickedness and whatever, you put into blanks. I'm not here to do that. Or maybe you've been the one who's been complaining because you've done everything right and you never got a kid for, you know, you never even got a goat for your party. But you are so faithful. If you're either one of those or anywhere in between, but you just don't know the Father, then I want to share a prayer with you this morning. It says this, Heavenly Father, I'm lost, but I'm done running. Here I am. I welcome Jesus into my life. Fill me with your life, your Holy Spirit, and let me start to live as a found person. Give me a passion to find other lost ones and to show them the way to you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to pray that prayer today, because for the very first time you realize that you don't want to be either end of the spectrum or anywhere in the middle, you just want to belong to Jesus, then would you pray it with me as I pray it again? And if you have prayed a prayer like that before, but you just need to remind yourself, it's okay to go ahead and do that again. So, Heavenly Father, I'm lost, but I'm done running. Here I am. I welcome Jesus into my life. Fill me with your life, your Holy Spirit, and let me start to live as a found person. Give me a passion to find other lost ones and to show them the way to you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So can you see why this would be the message that I would preach every week if I only could preach one message? It's because when Jesus' truth and love transforms us, we leave our lives of self-righteousness or outright sin and we start becoming like him. And that's why today's next step, and for those of you who are new or watching online for the first time, we want to do something as a result of listening to this message. And so the next step for this week is simple. I will show those who are lost the way to Jesus this week. I will show those who are lost the way to Jesus this week. Whether they're in our families, whether they're at school, whether they're at work, wherever they are, we get the opportunity to tell people about this God who loves us so much that he came looking for us, that he's still looking for us, that he's waiting for us to come home. This morning uh, before church, and if you wonder what your pastor does on Sunday mornings before church, I was sitting down in my study and I was looking online at some articles about the faith. And one of the articles said that in every continent in the world, except for one, Christianity is growing. And the one continent where it is not is North America. And this missiologist named Ed Stetzer, he, he summarized in basically a sentence what's happening in North America. People in the church in America are afraid to say that Jesus is the solution to our problems. That Jesus is the savior of the world and that we need saving. People are afraid to say in the churches across America that we're lost. And not just directionally challenged. But we... <laughs> are separated from God and we need Him. Here at New Life, we're not afraid to say that. We say it every week. And we'll continue to say it every week because we know that Jesus Christ is the only hope of the world. And people around the world are realizing that. In places where they're being persecuted and put to death for their faith, they're still saying Jesus is Lord because they know that the decisions that they're making and the commitments that they're making today matter for eternity. And this life isn't the only life there is. 
So if you already trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you know him personally, if you've been found, if you're in that group, then what we have the opportunity to do this week is we get to find people that are struggling, people that are hurting, or people that are so self-righteous that we can hardly approach them. And we get to say to them, welcome home. We get to say to them, I know, I know the answer that you're seeking in your life. And it's not just some platitude, but it's a person. And Jesus loves you so much that he came here to the earth. He lived and died and rose again and he sent his Holy Spirit and we're waiting for his return. And one day we're all going to be with him forever. That is all who have trusted him as Savior and Lord. So I gave you the chance to pray that prayer. And if you didn't and you still now want to say, Jesus, I need you. You can still do that. You can do that on the way home. And I pray that the Pharisees who on the way home from hearing this story and the tax collectors on the way home from hearing this story said, wow, I never knew God was like that. I never knew God was like that. But that's the kind of God that I need. It is the one true God. It is the kind of God we all need. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are the kind of God we need. The God who doesn't judge us or condemn us, but the God who convicts us and calls us to live new lives. God, I pray right now that each of us, each of us, will experience the joy, the celebration of your presence and of your salvation in our lives. And God, I pray for any who who said yes to you for the very first time. I know that you're celebrating in heaven right now. God, I want to celebrate with them. God, we pray that we'll live our lives in such a way that you will be glorified and that people will be attracted to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.